This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. What a filthy job. Could be worse. How? Could be raining. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and now that we're settling back in here in old Texarkana, there are a few things we need to batten down. First is the budget. If your expenses are out of whack, we've got a show for you today. To help us get the budget back in line, we welcome the woman who runs the Stacking Benjamins Making Money Easy course, Belinda Rosenblum. And the guy who's on a lifelong money-saving adventure with his family, Kevin Payne. And finally, the only guy whose budget includes batteries for bomb shelter lights, it's Len Penzo. Plus, how are small businesses managing to stay afloat during COVID? Is there more help on the way? Today, we welcome a woman who's on the front line of fintech and small business help, Cabbage co-founder, Catherine Petralia. Finally, a roundtable panel will help us to magnify a lucky listener's money, and I'll share some of my techie trivia. And now, a guy whose budget always includes board games, it's Joe Saul Seahai. Board games are very frugal. You get to play them over and over and over again. That is the best line item on a budget. Hey, everybody, welcome to Friday, or the time that we get to play the game called The Stacky Benjamin Show to kick off your weekend. I'm Joe Salci. Hi, Average Joe Money on Twitter. And we've got some fun characters with us today, as Doug said earlier. But first, let's let's talk about maybe the biggest character of all, deep under Los Angeles, my friend Len Penzo. What's up, man? Hey, Joe, I'll tell you what, my palms are a little sweaty today. It's the big game. The series is going to come to an end, and I just don't know who's going to win. It is It is a difficult time for Dodger fans, isn't it? <laughs> I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the big cribbage series between me and my daughter today. <laughs> she's, uh, she's one game away, and... Uh, I'm, uh, I'm going to be deeply indebted to her if I lose. Well, and I, and I was thinking, I mean, the, the Dodgers pulled it out, Len. Your Dodgers pulled it out to make it to the World Series, but uh, but we're not we're not anywhere close to Game Seven yet. So, bigger, higher stakes. So, so what did you do? How much money did you uh, better? A few hundred. We do something called the Wheel of Fortune on the dartboard. So, if she wins the series, she draws a card, and then she multiplies it by whatever she can throw on the dartboard. So she could get like a face card. And if she throws a triple 20, she'd get 600 bucks. 
Am I going to jail for this if I say, if I admitted this? On the- <laughs> yes. If you are an IRS uh, person listening, I should have said you, you want to pause it for a second. Yeah. yeah so we don't have g- g- gambling with your daughter. Shame on you, Mr. Penzo. Like I said, my palms are sweaty today. You can see the stakes. That's and- something I did budget for. And as and, and somebody whose palms are sweaty just because she's here with us today and can't figure out why the woman behind the own your money brand and the woman who also is behind the stacking budget money made easy brand. It's our friend Belinda Rosenblum. How are you? I'm doing great. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I'll be watching a game tonight, but I won't be your game, lad. I'm sorry. Unless it's broadcast somewhere, you let me know. Do you play cribbage, Belinda? I have no idea how to play cribbage. Sorry, uh, me, but uh, I was thinking Wisconsin basketball. I can't help you with cribbage. Well, you and you and <laughs> you and I, you and I have a course that's opening up uh, in just a few weeks. We do. I'm super excited about it. We haven't opened it up since January, Joe. Time flies. It's, it's kind of like dog years in COVID world. <laughs> that's what I was going to say. Remember January when there was no such thing as COVID? When we all used to just roam the world, we get close outside. to each other. I know. Hugs. You know, I miss warm hugs. It is. It is crazy. And a guy who has lots of warm hugs with his family joining us from Cleveland, Ohio. It's our friend Kevin Payne. How are you, man? I'm doing good, but I could use some hugs. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you've got lots of people around you to hug. How big is that family of yours, my friend? Uh, So we got uh, my wife and four teenagers in our house. Uh, not currently though. I kicked them out of the house for this special show and uh, a dog and a cat. I noticed uh, that your hair has gone like lens and mine is. Is that, <laughs> is that the result of four kids? Pretty much. Yeah. Well, t- uh, I always keep it short anyway, ever since high school, which is a long time ago. It is what it is. That's what I told myself. I'm just keeping it short and then I'm keeping it shorter and I'm keeping it shorter. (laughs) (laughs) Well, tell everybody about your blog about family money adventure, because you find a way, my friend, to hack everything. You recently hacked uh, before COVID, you hacked a a trip to Orlando. Uh, Yeah, that was a little while ago. But yes, we went to uh, had a family trip for a week to Orlando to Universal Studios and, uh, you know, pretty much got it for next to nothing, just using credit card points and and uh, just being smart with money. And it was a lot of fun uh, looking for actually, I think we're going to end up back there this upcoming summer, depending on how things go. My, my youngest son has a uh, baseball tournament down there at the bubble, basically. So uh, so we'll see how that goes. It's such an interesting blog. You write about a lot of stuff, but you write a lot about budgets. And that's why I'm glad that you're here with us today. So thanks for hanging out with us. Hey, by the way, before we jump into this, just got to say a big thanks to Fiverr for supporting Stacking Benjamins. It's so easy to find freelance talent for your business or product. Don't waste any more time. Get 10% off and the service you deserve by going to FIVERR.com. And use code SB, 10% off because you use our link. We've got Kevin here. We got Belinda here. We got Len here. We're going to talk budget. So let's get this party started, guys. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our stacking Benjamin's headlines. Today, the piece that we're going to talk about, and I've actually pulled up a few pieces, but the main piece, guys, that spurred this conversation is from Clark.com. That's our friend Clark Howard. But Clark didn't write this piece. It's written by our friend Suba Iyer. And Suba talks about getting your budget in order and, and finally, finally 
getting a hold of your money. I know that earlier for me, when I was really struggling with cash, the very first thing I had to do was figure out where my money went. And she has a piece here that we'll link to in our show notes page called how to transform your budget in 30 days. Day one says to compile all of your expenses and income for the year and categorize them. That is step one on how to transform your budget in 30 days. Uh, uh, Kevin, let's start with you. Is that where, where you started when you started getting your money under control? Uh, that, that was one of the first steps was just to know where your money is going. Uh, that way you can kind of figure out basically how you're messing up <laughs> and, and where you can uh, make some changes and also see where you're on the right track. When I'm talking to people reading my site, we try to look back like three to six months expenses, you know, whether you're using like an, an app like uh, Suba mentions in his, uh, in the article, uh, you know, just to track your spending. That's a big thing really is to just to know where your money's been going. Well, that's what I was thinking was that I like the idea of tracking it, Kevin, but Belinda, a year seems like flipping forever. Like going through when she wrote a full year, my first thought was, are you kidding me? Yeah. So I, I read that and I was like, well, maybe let's have them start with one month. Like, you know, <laughs> let's start with a week. <laughs> let's really look at a month because sometimes it's just about yeah. starting to take a bite. You know, how do you eat an elephant, right? One bite at a time, which I never understand because who would want to eat an elephant? <laughs> but besides that, it's this idea, right? Of I was a little afraid when I read this for the first time that people might look at that and be like, oh, I can't do it and put it aside. And I feel like that's so much of people's approach to budgeting and to money is like, oh, that just feels too hard. It feels like a diet and who likes those? So I'm just going to put it aside. And so I would say, yes, ideally a year because you're going to pick up some of those annual expenses, right? Or quarterly expenses. So that's really what I think this article is going for when they said a year, but if we need to start with a month so you, that you can at least see where am I spending? Like, where is the money going? Because much of the time it just feels like a big mystery. It's like, I don't know, where did my money go? It's like someone else is spending it. No, it's actually you spending it. It's just that you don't have any consciousness about it. You know, and even if you think about like, what was the last thing you actually spent money on? People are still using credit cards and they likely still, and just think for, if you're listening, like, do you know the dollar to the penny of what you just spent? The last place you swiped your card. We, it's like, we've lost consciousness. To no it idea. So much. Yeah. No idea. Well, once you just take the plastic out, right? I mean, I have no idea. And they always ask you while they're shaking their head. No. Do you want your receipt? Right. <laughs> do you want your receipt? Like, no, no, you don't want you your don't receipt. Want receipt. Yes. You no, really don't. Not at all. Yeah. And then Amazon makes it so fast too, right? It's like, you don't even have to go through a card anymore. You just hit buy now. And then one more click and it's yours. Seriously. My five-year-old has figured out how to buy on Amazon. That's a problem. <laughs> that is right? a problem. Oh, yes. yeah. Big time. But Belinda, then you get all the cool snacks at your house. Um, no, they're more like unicorn dolls. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's like at your house, right? The unicorn dolls, aren't you buying those? Oh, all the time. You know, I, I'm thinking kids today have it so much easier. You know, back in the old days, I actually had to cut out a cereal box and write my name and, and mail it to get something. You know, now you just, kid, kids now can just look on their, their cell phone and order things on Amazon. It's like, uh. That's my obligatory. I'm an old guy. Uh, <laughs> comment for this episode. I was about for to say number two thousand. Let the, the record uh, show that it was minute six uh, <laughs> in the fifty fifth second that uh, Len told his going to school. I mean, Belinda sharing that. I'm like, oh my god. I mean, are you kidding? Me? <laughs> okay, so you're not that old, Len, because I actually used to send those away too. 
I think but, I had a Tropicana phone or something. But you know what, Len? Back to what Belinda was talking about, though. I mean, Suba in this piece says day two of her 30-day program continue to compile your expenses from last year. Like, when I see day one compile expenses, day two compile expenses, I'm afraid people are going to get turned off like Belinda's talking about. If you're doing it correctly, it's going to take a while. Let me – I mean – the honeybee in my house, she's the CFO. She compiles all this data. And if you don't stay on it month after month after month, there's been times in December where she has not kept up and she's fallen a few months behind. And it takes a long time, Joe. It really does. So when I saw this day one, day two, it didn't even phase me because I'm like, yep, yep, it's going to take. If you're really tracking every single thing you're doing, it can take a long time. And the further you get behind, the longer it takes. Well, it's a lot of data. Well, let's talk about that, Kevin, about what Len's talking about there, because I know that recently you wrote about uh, about what uh, Paula Pant talks about, which is the non-budget, right? The unbudget, where you don't have a budget, you just save what you need to. Is that maybe a better approach than spending two days of your life figuring out where every candy bar went, every... Every unicorn doll came from all that stuff. It, it depends on who you are, I guess. Um, and that's the anti-budget. And it's basically for people who hate budgeting. But if you're just getting started out in this, you you want to know where your money's at, where it's gone. You know, you should dive like into that. You're saying you should dive into every penny at first. Yeah, that doesn't mean necessarily when you get around to actually setting up your budget that you have to line item every single thing. You know, the way it's set up, it takes care of a lot of the, the main parts of it, paying yourself, um, you know, all your investments and stuff like that and, and paying your major bills. And then the rest of it just kind of works itself out with what's left. Even then, it's still, even if you're not writing it into your budget necessarily at the beginning of the month, you still should be tracking that and paying attention to that. When I first opened this article and started reading it and I, I saw like the 30 days, like your first thought is like, that's a month. Like... That's so unrealistic, though. What this article covers is like six months to a year's worth of stuff to do. Like nobody has the time to actually, you know, this day you're going to call all these cell phone companies. This day you're going to do this and that. Like it's not realistic to do that. I mean, it's a good way to write an article. It makes sense. But trying to solve this financial puzzle is going to take a little while. So you're talking about the, it might be 30 days, but it's 30 days over the course of maybe a year. Yeah, right? yeah absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think that's realistic at all to think that you can solve all these riddles in a, in a month and have your finances, you know, 100 percent when you're struggling. Day four on here, Belinda, is plan to save money in that one area of your budget. For example, if it's to cut back on eating out, look through Pinterest to make a meal plan for the next month. You like that idea of focusing on one little thing? Or should you focus more broadly? Yeah, so I, I have my own version of the anti-budget. It's so funny because I've been talking about it. I didn't even realize it was Paula's until I read your post, Kevin. <laughs> so it's funny how it all comes around. I call it an anti-budget in my world because I feel like so much of the time we try and focus on all the things. But I feel like it's the 80-20 rule, like the Pareto principle in action. It's usually 20%, even 10%, like three to five items usually break the whole budget. You know, most of the rest of it doesn't really change that much in a given month, but it's just a handful of items that cause the most trouble for you, right? So what I liked about this point about saving money in that one area of your budget is that I do encourage people to track it, even if it's one month to start, and then notice the areas that 
what, what I call you know, where you have the most unconscious spending. Like if you were to guess how much you thought you spent in each area and then you actually looked and you're like, whoa, I thought I spent $600 on groceries. I actually spent $1,200 on groceries. How about that? That's a big area where there's like a disconnect. Like, oh, I think I spent around $150 a week. And then they forget about those extra two trips to the grocery store. They forget the trips that the partner makes to the grocery store, you know, or the trips to Costco, right? Which are also groceries. And so what I like about this point is I encourage you to look at it and say, what are those key areas that are the most discretionary and that have the most variation in a month? So that if you can focus on those, you can likely do 20% of the work and get 80% of the impact. What are those for a lot of people? Groceries is a big one for sure. Um, Eating out can be another one, whether it's takeout. I mean, nowadays it's more takeout than ever versus going to restaurants, but I kind of group the two of those together. For people who live in cities, it's often convenience items like taxis, transportation, some of that stuff that like, they just don't realize how it adds up. Um, For other people, it's fees. Like I've, I've literally, you know, when I talk about like budgeting mishaps, like I had somebody come to me and they're like, I don't know where all my money went to. Well, we looked at an actual bank statement, $400 was spent on fees. So like he'd go and wow. get Starbucks or something, or like a bagel and a coffee and it would be $6, but it actually cost him $31 because there was a $25 fee. <laughs> Right. And he was clueless, like he wasn't checking. And then all of a sudden those fees would drain his account and then it would exacerbate the problem. Bank of America calls him profit margin. Yeah. (laughs) Right. They're like, we want more clients like this guy. That's right. So that's why just even looking, right, like that exercise of looking at your bank statement, of looking at your credit cards and trying to see where, how do these add up and what are those key discretionary items for me can really make such a difference. But those are some of the bigger ones, I would say. That's what I like about our weekly money meeting is that Cheryl and I take, you know, just 15 to 20 minutes. And by looking through everything, it makes it so so much easier just because we get on the same page financially. We're looking at the bank statement. We're looking at the investments. We're looking at it just flows in and out. We're not doing the hardcore budgeting with that, but Mm -hmm. just because we look at it, we pay a little bit more attention to it. Len, I wanted to ask you, you and the honeybee, I I shouldn't say you and the honeybee because the honeybee actually does all the real heavy lifting. (laughs) Well, where does she (laughs) save most of the money in your budget? Do you think? That's a good question. I would say probably groceries, actually. She's always on that, always looking for the deals and the cheapest things. So I I guess for everyday things, I think it's groceries. Kevin, how about in your family? Oh, man, groceries is the worst, especially with four teenagers. That's what I was Uh, just thinking, man. (laughs) I have two teen boys who are athletes, and it's like nonstop. Ten minutes after eating dinner, they got a giant snack. It looks like uh, like your uncle on Thanksgiving Day with the divider plate with like just piled <laughs> up. Like it's ridiculous. It isn't Thanksgiving. It's Tuesday at the pain house. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> That's the biggest one for us. If I can ever solve that grocery bill, I would be like a billionaire. What about this idea, Kevin, of uh, saving money? This is on day five, saving money through cell phone plans and phone plans. Have you found any money there in your budget? You know what? I have not. Not recently. We used to save quite a bit of money kind of doing what what uh, was suggested, you know, looking for um, employee discounts and stuff. My previous employer, you know, when I was working a full time job, 
I got a nice, uh, I think it was like 15% discount off of our bill. But wow. uh, when I left there to go full time with freelancing and blogging, I lost that. So um, we've tried to find that through my wife. My wife's a teacher. There's not too many discounts for her, unfortunately. But uh, there are deals out there to be had. And uh, we were with Verizon for the longest time. And we made a switch the last time we had phones because uh, you know, our, all of our kids now have phones. We, we It kind of sucks because... I hate giving them to them, but at the same time, they started doing stuff at school, the activities where I would need to get in touch with them or, you know, if a practice got canceled and I had to come pick them up or sure. something like that, they all, they all needed one. So they got them and, uh, oh man, that bill is pretty ridiculous too. I can't imagine. I wanted to ask uh, Belinda about the next one on this list about car insurance, about insurances. You see people cut a lot of money on their insurances. They save a lot of money on their car insurance by going with... <laughs> I'm like, wait, is this another ad that you slipped in there? I almost, um. I, I almost quoted the ad that I realized they're not a sponsor, so we probably shouldn't. There you go. They brainwashed you well, though. What I liked about five and six, you know, five on reducing your fixed expenses is that I think that pretty much everything is negotiable and reducible. Even what people think are, quote, fixed expenses, right? Like insurances, like phone bills, like cable bills, like mortgages, even like you can refinance those things. I think we get kind of resigned like, oh, I guess that that's what my bill has to be. We have had a lot of luck reducing our phone and Internet and cable bills. We call about every three to six months and they're constantly constantly running some other promotion. Note, they don't call you to say, would you like $40 off? Like it's up to you to call. Or when my husband and I were on different phone companies, when we consolidated onto one company, we saved $100. Like there is certainly savings to be had there on insurances. I find that that's another one that can creep up over time, right? It's like you're, you have one plan and then every year it just goes up every few hundred dollars, especially especially home because it's buried in your mortgage. So you never usually notice it or see it, but car, same thing that you can actually shop it around for something like a home insurance or car insurance and get it reduced. And sometimes even the same broker that sold you this one three yeah. years ago can get you a better one now. And I, we, I saved somebody, I remember $1,780 on their homeowner's insurance. Cause I looked at it and I was like, this is just too much. Yeah. And then they bundled home and car. So then they saved on their car with a bundle. I had a, an Allstate agent tell me one time that different companies, just like people in different age brackets. And as we're recording this today, it's our good friend Paula Pant's birthday. So she's off celebrating today. But he said, whenever you have a birthday, you want to look because even though nothing's changed about you, you might be in somebody's sweet spot now in a new company sweet spot where you weren't in your old year. So he said every single year on your birthday is a great time to look and see whether uh, you'll get a better rate on your car insurance and on your homeowners. And bundling, by the way, I've seen that back when I was a financial planner, I've seen that work both ways. Bundling work for some people and then actually unbundling and just getting the cheapest one over here and the cheapest one over there for other people work. So it all depends. And uh, Len, you're nodding your head. Yeah, I was just going to say, because I just walked away to go to ask the honeybee about the insurance because we, and I'll tell you what, when you have teenage kids driving and they're on your insurance, that is when you really need to check every year your insurance and go through a broker. We just saved about $1,500 this year on our insurance going through a broker. And I, she was phenomenal. And you're right about the bundling and unbundling. Unbundling tends to work when 
you have a kid who's had an accident <laughs> and then they jack up your rates. That's when you unbundle and then you wait a year and then through the broker, they can go back and rebundle and they might unbundle too at a certain time, but they'll come back in. And then that's when you can really make the savings. And that's what we did this year. It was huge, huge. So yeah, you have to be very strategic with your unbundling and bundling because it does work both ways. And every year, check your insurance because play them off each other. It is the mo one of the most competitive industries out there. Yeah, yeah, sure is. And, and Kevin, you got to be just taking one for the team now with uh, four teenagers. Holy cow. I can't imagine your car insurance. You know, we only have one so far that is driving and we got one that they won't be able to drive with some health issues. And then, uh, another one almost there. So I thought you were just locking the last one in his room. Cause you're like, okay, enough teams. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, oh he's God. probably, He's probably the one I trust the most is the youngest one. That's a sad thing. But, uh, you know, with our oldest daughter, it's not if she gets in an accident, it's when it's going to happen. Because I've ridden with her before. And, uh, you know, after that is when we updated our life insurance, you know, so, oh <laughs> you know, oh but uh, going, going back real quick to what Belinda was talking about with calling these places, you know, the other thing that you can do is if you don't like the answer you got is just to hang up and try again because you might get someone else on the line, a different representative who can get you the deal that you want. Yeah. Um, I've had that happen before. And like we talked about cell phones, like our, our bill is through the roof, but like uh, I've, I've been in the market for a new phone recently and um, I'm the last one to get an upgrade. Everybody else got nice new phones. I got a nice old one. So I've been trying to do it and I've gotten different information from like three different customer reps. So like I wait I'm, at the I same company and, at the same yeah. company. Yeah. yeah and if you don't three. like it, ask for a supervisor. Yeah. You have so many options. You don't have to just yeah. take no and be like, Oh, I guess it didn't work. Be like, Oh, let's, let's wait a day and let's call a different time of day and let's see who we get. I, yep, I wait. I waited till I got the right deal and then I ordered it. So Oh my goodness. Yeah. The other thing to remind yourself when you're calling for things like that is the compound effect of that reduction in your monthly bill, right? Like when it feels like, oh, if I call, maybe I'll, maybe I'll save a hundred dollars like we did on Verizon, right? On the phone plan. But don't think about it. Like I saved a hundred dollars. Think about it. Like, well, actually I saved $1,200 this year. Yeah. yeah. Right. And then yeah. all of a sudden you're like, well, that was actually a very well spent 30 minutes on well, hold. And the key there, and the key there, Belinda is to, to save the hundred bucks and immediately automatically have it go into like your Roth IRA, right? Create a plan so, for yes, it. Yes. You lock it in. Otherwise, um, you know, I'm going to blow it on a board game. Uh, I wanted to ask you guys one more thing before we say goodbye to this topic, which is as I was, was doing some research, I, I found an interesting piece on Forbes about emotional spending. And each of you, I'm sure, have dealt with yourself and with people you've coached on emotional spending. Len, when you feel like, you know, I got to have the big screen TV, uh, how do you curb the emotional spending? Well, go back and look at your budget, I guess. That's one thing. Look at your that's, income and that's, your outcome. That's such an engineer approach, by the way. <laughs> Just go look at what you got. I don't want to look well, at what I got. I, I want the damn big screen TV today. Well, that's how you look. Sleep on. There's another one. Before you make the big purchase, sleep on it. If you can't do that, just tell I know there's a lot of impulsive spenders out there, but if you just remind yourself, okay, I want it, but just let me go to bed tonight and think about it. And if I still want it tomorrow, then, you know, and you've looked at your budget, you're not going to, you're going to ignore it. You're going to ignore it, but yeah, sleep on it. Kevin, anything to add there? 
Uh, yeah, I, w- I was going to say that sleep on it. The other thing he mentions in the article, I think of day 27, it talks about computing your real hourly wage. I think that is a big thing here with the emotional spending is that if you know how many hours it takes to, to pay for that purchase, like how many hours you have to work, that can affect whether you're going to pull the trigger on that or not. You're going to guilt yourself out of it? Yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah, if that's what it takes, you know. Kevin, Kevin, that's a great one for the kids too. I think that's a great way for kids to think about, you know, what they're earning and what they're spending. That's I've done that with my kids too. How much time? How much time of your life does it does this cost? Yeah, Belinda, anything else to add? Time of their life and not time of your life. (laughs) (laughs) Belinda, anything else, Belinda, on emotional spending? Yeah. I I mean, I co-wrote a book with a psychotherapist because I love the concept of emotional spending and really understanding the psychology behind why we do what we do. So I think part of it is really looking at like just taking a step back and saying, you know, do I really need this? Do I need it now? But really, how am I feeling in this moment? Like, what is the feeling that I'm trying to compensate for that's having me buy it? Like, is it really that I'm lonely? Is it really that I'm pissed that I can't fit into the pants? So I'm like, let me just buy five more pants in a bigger size so that I don't need to feel bad about how it, like to just get in touch with how that is. And then to get creative and, and say, like, what's actually a much better way that I can relieve that feeling? Like a healthier right? like way. A healthier way to satisfy that feeling. And if you know that you tend towards this emotional spending, even just have a little go to list. When, I mean, there's a name for it. I mean, it's retail therapy. Like it's well, well known, right? It happens a lot. So it's like when, if you know you tend towards that, have a list, either have, you know, on that list, have a short list of people you want to call, take a walk outside, like do other things that will take you out of that moment so that you can stop and breathe long enough to realize like, wait a second, why am I really buying this? And how can I reconnect with my goals, reconnect with the things that matter? Like if, if they're a listener of this show, to me, it says that, you have bigger plans for your life and your future. And you don't have to put yourself in a hole in a moment of weakness, but instead you can actually use it as a chance to rise above and to say, okay, how else can I solve this need for myself? Hey, a quick question. Did any of the three of you guys apply for the PPP? No. No? I did. Yeah, I did too. Uh, We did here. It's interesting. We've had lots of talk in Washington around whether there's going to be a round two for people. Well, we don't know yet if there's a round two. Sadly, by the way, just to pull the curtain back, I recorded this interview with with our friend Catherine a couple weeks ago. We were hoping there might be something by now then. Catherine Petralia is the co-founder of this company called Cabbage. Cabbage was the second biggest loan provider when it came to PPP lending. And she's going to talk about small business right now. How are we all making it? How can we maybe help a small business make it? And if we're a small business owner, how do we hang on? We're going to talk about uh, the past, the present, the future with Catherine Petralia. And on my dad's shortwave radio, it's my new friend, Catherine Petralia. How are you? You know, I'm doing as well as I possibly could. How are you doing? Well, I got to tell you, Catherine, as a guy who did PPP through Cabbage, I have to imagine that you saying that you're okay 
you guys must have been flooded, flooded at the beginning of this year, at the beginning of COVID anyway, with so many people looking for help. It was pretty nuts. I have this joke that I say at the time that I didn't shower or insert expletive without being on a conference call for at least three months. So it was insane. I just can't imagine your life during that time. And I also remember, you know, there was that first wave and that money went super quick. And then the second wave. And I remember even thinking, even though it was only a matter of a few days thinking, man, is this going to go the way the first wave did all that stuff. But before we get more into that, where companies turn now, our fans love to hear stories about how companies like cabbage were founded when you guys were talking about cabbage and putting it together. Was it something in your personal life that you were looking for? Was it an opportunity, a little bit of both? Tell me a little bit about the history of cabbage. I think people love to hear stories where you hear, Oh, well, I, you know, had to replace my tires and I was really mad because they were so expensive. So I designed a brand new tire. That's like 10% of the cost, but that's a great story. I love that story. That is not our story. (laughs) Our, (laughs) our story was sort of inspired by technology, which is cool for me because it's emblematic of, you know, who and what we are. But my co-founder, Rob Frewine, he had the idea for Cabbage because he was working with an eBay API that was launched in 2007 for a totally different business. And he said, huh, there's a lot of really rich seller and transaction level data in this API. Could you use that to make a lending decision for a business selling on eBay? So he called me up and I've been in FinTech for a long time since the 90s. It wasn't called FinTech then, but that's what it was. And consumer lending has been automated since the 90s. And I was like, that's a good idea. You could do that. We had no idea. Ignorance is bliss. We had no idea that most small business lenders were totally manual. So we automated lines of credit to eBay businesses. And that was in 2010. I would say that we, we, in 2008, we sat at the Starbucks and talked about how we could do it. But by 2010, we built a platform that allowed an eBay business to come to the site, apply for a line of credit and have access in about two and a half minutes. We were talking early this year to Dan Simon, a gentleman that you know about his book, Money Hackers. In fact, he interviewed you for that book. And I forgot that. I think he told us a story. And and I believe what you're saying now, Catherine, is you guys had to kind of create a lot of the piping to do what many different companies do now. Well, we did because (laughs) that wasn't a thing back then, apparently. So we took advantage, I think, of the proliferation of APIs for all kinds of providers, whether you're talking about Amazon or QuickBooks, or checking accounts, or you name the system, Facebook, all of these platforms that are allowing third parties to access the data, we were able to constantly fold those into our platform to get a better understanding of how businesses were performing, and to better match them with products and services that fit their needs. What are some of the like key learnings that you've had along the way, just as a business person that might help somebody who is in business for themselves today? Like, What were some of the struggles that you guys had that that you really learned from? It's funny. I cried at work for the second time in my entire life. The day, it was in probably 2010, when the bank partner with whom we'd been planning to work was told by the OCC they couldn't do the deal with us. We were just devastated because that was how we'd planned to operate, was in partnership with the financial institution. I was like, what are we going to do now? But we figured it out. I think that is the lesson is, Things like terrible things are just going to lay themselves at your feet every step that you take. And you just have to have the fortitude and intention to make it past every one of those barriers. I mean, it happens, of course, that there are barriers that are insurmountable, but we have found that, you know, just sheer will allows you to power through it. 
I think that's a great pivot point because if we're talking about powering through it, clearly this time for business owners in COVID, right, where the business landscape is changing so quickly, we don't know what's coming next. We're seeing so many businesses uh, struggling around the country. We're recording this a couple of weeks before it goes out. We're also at an inflection point for people, uh, for all of our friends listening, that we don't know what the government's going to do next. So I think, Catherine, we have to we have to talk about both parts do you think the government's going to have a second round uh, that's PPP-like funding? Do you feel like it'll look the same? If we do, where does the company go? And if we don't, where do you think uh, companies should go? Everybody's waiting to find out two things. Number one, is there going to be an opportunity to borrow again in PPP if you've already done it once? Because I think it's pretty clear that 10 weeks is not enough. <laughs> when, when that decision was made originally, I don't think people really knew or just like, well, 10 weeks seems like a long time, you know, let's pick that number. But I think maybe 10 months is the right answer, but I'm not sure how sustainable that is, but that's the number one question. Will we be able to borrow again or will people who didn't take advantage of it be able to borrow? The other half of that coin is what is forgiveness going to look like? I've already borrowed, but it's really unclear what I have to do to prove that I use the money in the right way. So everybody's very anxious about that. And as a result, People are hesitant to make big decisions about their business right now because they want to know, am I going to have a five-year loan or is it going to be forgiven? Can I get access to more capital or do I need to go back to my bank? What should I do next? That is so difficult. So put yourself as a business owner then, Catherine. Uh, tell me what that decision tree looks like. I think as a business owner, the idea is you want to make sure you have enough money to do the work you want to do. And can you scale back your work for a while and hunker down and wait and see what's going to happen on the other side. Every business is different. Every industry is different. It's remarkable to me. I have always done my own painting in my house because I like to paint. It's kind of an instant gratification thing. But I decided I was really busy and I needed to have two rooms painted. So I called a painter that was referred to me by a neighbor. And they were like, yeah, it's going to be like March before we can paint your two rooms. I was like, are you kidding me? Like it's all March. But this industry, home improvement, home renovation, all of this is so busy right now. These businesses are crushing it. Right. And so there are some industries that are doing great, but if you operate a dry cleaner in a metropolitan area and you depend on foot traffic from people who work in that area and high rises nearby, there's not a lot of traffic. So you have to figure out, you know, do I need more money to invest to grow right now or do I need to sit back and wait? And, and I think that, so the answer is very different for every business type. It's really hard to answer that question specifically for everyone. We found out the first time around how it operated way too late. Um, and as you remember, there was a lot of emphasis on if you already had rela a relationship with your bank, a lot of bankers telling people, hey, I'd love to work with you, but I have to take care of my existing customers first. And people were being put in line based on the relationship with the lending institution that they already had. And if you didn't have one, then you were somebody that had to wait is there a way for somebody to, 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 you know, become a dance partner with a company like Cabbage ahead of time so that I know that I'm in line or, I mean, do I fill out a profile or something like that? Or are you going to see that process maybe clean up the second time around if it comes? Well, <laughs> it's a really complicated answer. The reason that people who banked with their existing bank and couldn't get access to a loan, a PPP loan, was largely because they didn't already have a borrowing relationship with that bank. And the reason it was hard for an institution to serve those customers that didn't already have those relationships 
is there identity verification procedures that have to happen, known as know your customer, know your business, anti-money laundering rules. And these banks all approach that in a very manual way. So they just didn't have the resources to process a bunch of applications for new, I put that in quotes, customers, even though those customers may have had a checking account with that bank. So that was the reason that people had a hard time being served by a bank that they already were working with, or the bank wasn't a licensed lender under the SBA. Yeah. So it wasn't just, you know, what a lot of people thought it wasn't a preferential treatment thing as much as I think a lot of sources kind of implied that it was, you're saying. I don't think it was. It's easy to vilify the banks, but that really, they just didn't, they just didn't know how to do it. Right. And it's okay. It's, we luckily, thank goodness that the regulators had this idea that fintechs could be available to help solve that problem and the long tail. It is, it is really a shining moment for company like, companies like Cabbage that were able to use the technology to serve tiny, tiny businesses. And it's the only reason that we were able to serve 300,000 of them. I know it's important for people to get things together if they're looking to apply for money in the future, whether it's from their bank to continue or in another program in the future, like the PPP. So people are ready ahead of time. What type of documents are they going to need? What type of numbers are they going to need so that they're, they're ready to fill out the application? The biggest challenge that I saw with customers, and I talked to a lot of them directly in the program was they were commingling personal and business accounts. And that makes it really hard to understand how, what you qualify for. So that's step number one, especially for independent contractors and sole props. And especially if you're like, you're not paying yourself, that's a real problem because it means that you're not able to generate tax documents that indicate that you deserve a PPP loan. I saw that all the time where people weren't eligible because they just weren't paying their self, themselves. They were throwing the money back into the business. It's unfortunate that that rendered them ineligible, but it did. So I think the number one thing you need is a tax document that indicates if you have employees that you've been paying them, that's a W-3. If you're a sole proprietor, that you have a 1040C or, you know, the requisite W-3 and W-2 and um, that ind- or, or 1099 that indicates that you've been paid by your own company. So that's the most important thing is to have those tax documents. And now I believe all taxes need to, need to have been filed. At the time, they only needed to have been prepared. Right. So make sure that they've been filed. If there's a big overarching takeaway, more of kind of theme music in your head, Catherine, for a business owner right now, what would that theme be? I think the theme is recognize that there are things you can do to save money in your business, ways you can structure it that might render you ineligible for benefits that could happen in the future if there's an emergency. And so we found a lot of businesses or individuals who were trying to avoid taxes and it actually meant that they weren't eligible for the PPP and everybody did things by the book. You did exactly what you were allowed to do, but recognize that there is always an implication to an action. I think that's a great theme. And, uh, I think my last question is this. I heard a rumor that you might know of a website that might have some resources for (laughs) business owners. Is, Is there such a place, Catherine? I can't believe a place would exist like that. Yeah, I think it's PayPal. No, I'm kidding. It's Cabbage. (laughs) Don't go to PayPal. Go to Cabbage. It's Cabbage. Those losers, right? (laughs) And and we'll link to Cabbage.com with a K and our show notes page at StackyBenjamins.com. Catherine, so great meeting you, and thank you so much for helping uh, our business owner listeners. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. 
trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And you know, now that we've saved Joe's budget, <laughs> let me tell you, I was worried about that guy. He was on the cusp of a world of financial hurt. But now that we got that taken care of, how about we pivot to a trivia question? Well, Apple just announced their new iPhone lineup a couple of weeks ago, and man, do some of those phones look expensive. But on this date in 2001, Apple announced their first iPod player. How much did this first of its kind five gigabyte music player cost? I'll be back with your answer faster than you can put this podcast on replay. All right, we explained the convoluted rules to this game backstage to Kevin and Belinda. And by the way, for those of you new to this, uh, we are playing a year long competition between our three regular contributors, Len, Paula Pant from Afford Anything, and my co host OG, both of which have the day off today. I guess just <laughs> we'll just keep it easy. We'll have ladies substituting for ladies, gentlemen substituting for gentlemen. So, Kevin, you're playing for OG. And Belinda, you'll be standing in for Paula Pant from Afford Anything. The score, by the way, in this trivia contest so far, Len has 15, Paula has 13, and OG has 11. And that means, Kevin, you're going to get to guess last. Belinda, you're going to guess in the middle. And Len, that means you're on the hot seat, my friend. Back in 2001, how much did that first iPod cost? Oh my gosh. I think I bought one, but I can't remember what I paid for it. Uh, well, this, I think this is one of those things where you might, it might seem more expensive than most people would think because, you know, new technology, it kind of costs more and then over time it drops, even though the, the capability increases. Oh gosh. And then they had those iPod, didn't they have those iPod minis or something like that too? But did they, that they come did. out at the same time? The, the, there was the so, mini later and the nano later. No, this was the, right. remember this was the first one that you could get any color you want as long as it was white. Yeah, and it, right. No, no, I know. And, yeah, and, and it, it had, had the, it the had wheel. Little, yep, exactly. Well, actually, I don't even think the first one had a wheel. I think it had like four points and I think the wheel came second generation. I, actually, I, you may be right. You may be right. It's been a while. You know what? Gosh, I, I, I have two numbers in my head, and they're probably both wrong. It's probably going to end in a 99. Uh, and I want to kind of say just 99, but that's probably way off. This is 2001? 2001. Guess, guess 99, please. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin gives that the, Kevin gives that the seal of approval. I'm going to say $199. $199. Uh, Belinda. I like the 99, um, not 99 on its own. I'm going to go 399 with the idea that it was, you know, ex exactly like you said, Len, that it was more because it was the first, right? That it was a lot of technology for your, to hold in your hand and that it wasn't yet nearly as affordable as it was. And I think that's partly why they came out with the Nano and the Mini and all those to make a lower cost version. So a general rule it was 19 years ago. So I don't really that's actually very good logic there, Belinda. I like that. Well, right. a, a general rule of thumb when it comes to inflation is prices double about every 18 years. So in today's dollars, that would be about 800 bucks that we're looking at. Kevin, you've got a lot of room between those two, man. 
Yeah, well, I'm going to stick with the 99 theme because everything I've ever bought from Apple ends in 99. So uh, I'm going to split the difference and go to 99. Uh, <laughs> I actually just came across my old, I think it was an iPod Shuffle. Uh, I just found it in our basement. So I was cleaning stuff out, uh, tried to sell it, and no one wants it. <laughs> so, you know. Hey, I'll show you my Walkman, Kevin, one of these days. <laughs> Does that count for the collectibles that you just had on? <laughs> Getting your, your, your Walkman. The one that I never understood, if we're telling old guy stories, Len, was the Discman. Because the Walkman that had the cassette tape in it, you, you, you could run with one of those or walk with one. You try to take that Discman off the table <laughs> and it's skipping like hell. Like the Discman was horrible. Well, hey, just think I gotta, how much okay, exercise you're getting carrying that thing around. <laughs> now you're in my wheelhouse again, old stuff. So let me just tell you the, the first, I was a young engineer and, and the uh, they had just gone to portable car CD players. It's like my buddy, fellow engineer, he just got this new CD player. And these are when you put the CD players in the trunk, if I remember correctly. He's like, oh, you can put these CD players in cars. And I was like, Really? Every little bump that CD would skip. I mean, it was the most worthless machine. I was like, and I was like, this is never going to work. This is the stupidest idea. Who they'll never put CD players in cars. I mean, eventually they figured it out, but oh my God, it, every little bump that thing would skip was so funny. And that's, well, then you had to pull over to change the CD. <laughs> or pull over just to hear your song. Right. <laughs> this is the good part. Slow down. Slow down. When you like long red lights. Yeah. Well, we're going to, hey Joe, tell us. well, in just a second, I'll tell you, Belinda, but of course we got to make you wait. We'll be right back. You and I both know that the way we work together seemingly changed overnight. And if there's one thing we've learned, it's having access to the right resource. That's essential for adapting your business. 2020 has been a year of uncertainty. So how can your business plan for the unexpected? There's so much, so much happening right now. Finding the right talent can be time consuming frustrating and expensive. Well, Fiverr's online marketplace connects businesses with freelancers offering hundreds of digital services, including graphic design, copywriting, web programming, film editing, and more. We've used Fiverr here at Stacking Benjamins for a ton of voice talent. We've used them for graphic design. We've also used them for copy editing. We've used Fiverr a ton, and it's always for us been just a fantastic experience. Not only can I sort by reviews, by the service, by the deadline, by the price, Fiverr makes it really easy for me to put different providers up against each other and decide which one I want to go with. I don't mean that they battle it out. I mean, I get to look at each provider and then look at the next one and look at the next one until I find the right person for whatever our gig is. So whether you're launching your first business, scaling your current business, or in need of extra support to complete a project, Fiverr's global network of on-demand freelance talent is here to help. Find what you're looking for instantly. It's easy. Customize your search by service, deadline, price, seller reviews, and more. No more guessing games. You'll know exactly what you're paying for upfront. No negotiating needed. 24-7 customer service, a network of quality talent you can count on. Freelancers, of course, have worked with some of the most influential brands in the world, including Stacking Benjamins. Check out Fiverr.com and receive 10% off your first order by using our stacker code SB. Find all the digital services you need in one place, F-I-V-E-R-R.com. Use code SB. Again, that's Fiverr.com, code SB. 
Well, stackers, you can now experience full plates and fuller wallets with America's best value meal kit. Every plate dinners are the cheaper alternative to takeout or delivery. And recipes come together in about 30 minutes, definitely faster than a trip to the grocery store or starting a meal from scratch. Never have to buy more ingredients than you need because every plate's recipes come with everything already pre-measured and ready to go. In fact, every plate is constantly expanding their shipment zones. Check to make sure your zip code's included where they ship at checkout. In this time when we're juggling so much, every plate does the meal planning, the shopping, the prepping all for you, taking all that time-consuming guesswork out of cooking. They're easy to follow recipes and, and pre-portioned ingredients take the stress out of dinner time. Everybody knows meal kits and some meal kits are super expensive, and that is what sets every plate apart. Even at regular price, every plate's up to 58% cheaper than other major meal kits out there. Meals not only taste great, Cheryl and I always have fun putting them together together. It's like our family activity, putting our every plate meals together at night. They come together, as I mentioned, really fast. Get three weeks of Every Plate meals for only $2.99 per meal by going to everyplate.com and entering code SB3. That's three weeks of Every Plate meals for only $2.99 a meal by going to everyplate.com and enter code SB3. You're probably used to scrolling through social media, catching headlines and bits and pieces. It's a good way to follow the chatter and kill a few hours, but you need a better way to understand the news. That's why NPR has a new daily podcast called Consider This. We don't just catch you up on what's happening. We help you make sense of the day because once things make sense, you can get off your phone and go for a walk or something. Listen to Consider This from NPR every day. Len, you opened up the bidding here with $199. That's looking a little low today, my friend, based on what uh, Kevin and Belinda said. Yeah, Belinda's logic there about it probably was higher than that, and that's why they came out with the Nano and the Minis. So that I, now I'm beginning to doubt my 199 I was feeling good, but now I'm not. But on the other side, Belinda, what would be $800 today sure seems like a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, have you have you tried to price an iPhone now? I mean, it's like, you know, the, at the time, they're like little computers in your hand. I know. And, and, and the iPhone, there's now only 18,000 iterations. You can get one for any, I mean, pick your price, right? Kevin, you're right there in the middle of 299. How are you feeling? Uh, I don't know. It might be a little low, actually. I bought a few things. I, I know I had one of the first iPads that was pretty expensive. Just bought a brand new iPhone. That's the one I upgraded to. So um, I'll be holding on to that thing for until the iPhone 20 comes out. And, uh, <laughs> which, uh, that, that one probably comes with loan payments and stuff for it. And Sure. Uh, the iPhone 20 is going to make French toast for you, too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Doug, you got it from here, man. What's our answer? Hey, stackers, it's your pal, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And between helping Joe's mom unpack the new house and take boxes down to the corner, I'm up to my elbows in work. Feel like I need a little therapy. And for some reason, those new iPhones are really looking nice. And I feel like that'll help me to feel better after all this work. 
I know I just did my budget and I only have enough money left for a tin can with a string, but have you seen the cameras on those new iPhones? I mean, the battery life is nowhere near my tin can, but come on, Angry Birds, Candy Crush, I can even add a budgeting app to the phone. This phone will save me money. And the good news is I can even pay it off in payments so I don't totally blow up my budget. Before I head off to secure my new iPhone, let's get back to your trivia question. Question was, Apple announced their first iPod player on this date in 2001. How much did the first of its kind five gigabyte music player cost? Well, if you guessed $399, you'd be right. In typical Apple fashion, they were able to charge quite the premium. The good news, not everything costs a premium because we're friends. I'm going to keep this trivia completely free. Hashtag Doug 2020. Good job, oh, man. Good job, Paula. <laughs> I mean, Paula. <laughs> <laughs> what a nice birthday present for Paula. I got her point. She that is crazy, Belinda. You nailed it. Nice job. Thank you. And yeah. trivia is not usually my thing, so lucky uh, for Paula. It is strange that uh, just a couple of weeks ago, Roger Whitney, the retirement answer man, nailed the Disney one, got it exactly right. Were you here that week, Len? No. You were not? You missed it. Missed it. But you were here for Belinda's. Nice job. Hey, before Belinda gloats too much, let's take out the magnifying glass and help somebody do better with their money. Today's hotline call comes to you courtesy of magnifymoney.com. When you go to stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnify money, Kevin, you know what you're going to find? No. <laughs> every week every every week it, it, it's the same thing kevin what you're going to find is those financial products you use every day they're nowhere near the best in class over 92 percent of the products available all online all ranked at magnify money head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash magnify money for more so whether it's checking accounts savings accounts cd rates man just looking at these high yield savings accounts lately my uh, ally account that I got through Magnify Money, I think it's at 0.6 right now. Woo. Uh, yes. Not looking, not looking great, but still among the top. So what do you do, right? Uh, today, we're going to help old Jambalaya magnify his money. <laughs> say, <laughs> say hi, old Jambalaya. Hey, Joe and OG. It's Jambalaya. No, that's not my real name, but I'm afraid if I give my real name, all my friends will find out that I listen to this show. I got a question about HSAs. When my company first offered an HSA in 2018, I tightened my belt and maxed it out. I still put $4,500 a year in, but I put all my extra savings towards a house down payment. The HSA has 500 bucks invested in a broad market ETF and 15 grand in cash. Why 15k you ask? Because that's my max annual out-of-pocket for out-of-network providers. I'd like to have two years' worth of max out-of-pocket in cash before I start heavily investing. And that's my plan for slowly starting to self-insure my health costs. So, is this a dumb idea? Do you think I should just keep it simple, stupid, and go back to a safer health insurance plan? In case you need more context about me, I'm a healthy 30-year-old, sole family breadwinner, have about 70k in retirement savings, contribute 6% to a 401k, I'm eligible for a pension, and I wear a size small t-shirt with the sleeves rolled up to make my biceps look bigger. See ya! <laughs> 
I like them already. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I don't think I needed that at the end, old Jambalaya, but thank you very much. Gertrude's going to send you a code and you can brag to all your friends (laughs) about how great you look in your small t-shirt. Although then then they will really will find out that he listens to the show. That that is true. Good point. (laughs) But uh, sun's out, guns out for old Jambalaya. Kevin, you mind kicking this off? What do you think, man? Uh, you know what? Uh, first, I think you just found your your a new co-host for the show. Uh, Jambalaya is a <laughs> kicking OG to the curb, talker. right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but I am not that familiar with HSAs. I don't have one. Um, I've never had one, so uh, I, I probably need to defer to everybody else as to if it's actually good advice. But from my point of view, the fact that he even has a plan and that he's thought it through kind of makes sense, and he knows what kind of money goals he has, and if he wants to defer, you know, really getting into investing to hit this goal with his HSA, then, you know, I don't have a problem with that. And I know that HSAs are, you know, are tax advantage too. And, uh, you know, you can write off some of that stuff. So I don't really have a problem with that at all. Yeah. I love what you're saying there about just having a plan. I mean, even if it is not the world's best plan, he's already Kevin so far ahead of 99% of people because he's got one. Yeah, absolutely. Belinda? Right. I, I too, am not an HSA expert, but I, I agree with the plan idea. And I think the part of it is looking at, okay, you're 30 years old, right? He didn't, he's a sole family breadwinner. I don't know in terms of children and that kind of a thing, because I feel like that does add another level of complexity and coverage that you'll want to be able to support them with medical issues. Um, yeah. And I like the fact that he already has $70,000 of retirement savings because especially depending on where and he, he didn't mention school debt, student debt. So I'm hoping that he doesn't have any there. Um, that we want to be accelerating any payoff for credit card debt or student debt. But I think HSAs in general can be a reasonable vehicle. I agree with the tax savings, tax efficiency point that Kevin just made. I don't know if he needs to get to two years of out of pocket, that there could be a better place to be able to put that money, whether it's a Roth IRA or other more liquid savings that really help to compound on themselves, right? So that he has the money when he needs it for the house and for the other things that he may want to do in the future. I'm with you. I think two years is is overkill. I like the fact that he has a year there for out of network. If push comes to shove, it's very conservative, which I like. Right. I thought that was pretty good. Len, do you use an HSA? No, I don't. Good deal. Um, Man, we hit the trifecta for... <laughs> Oops. No, no wonder old Jambalaya said, I don't want to tell anybody I listened to this show. I tell you what, though, I, I want to ask, uh, you know, after after the show here, I want to ask Jambalaya about uh, get maybe he can give me some tips on how to hunt catfish, because it sounds mm. like he's a real expert on that. Yes. <laughs> it's good being back in oh, the man. South, by the way, Len, where they have catfish restaurants. Didn't have any of that in Michigan, but, uh, from an engineering perspective or from the blog, have you written about HSAs in the blog at all? Uh, yeah, we've had a few articles on those. I mean, it is something that's great. I mean, especially when you're younger, I think, because you can put away, you know, I think the contribution limits vary. You know, I don't know what it is. It's $5,000 or $3,500. I think it depends. I think where you live actually. And actually I think some States don't even allow, uh, well, I guess with taxes, they don't, they won't give you tax free, but it does allow you to put away for future medical expenses tax free. Yeah. So, um, and pull and pull it right out of your, for example, out of your, whatever you're earning. So you can set aside $3,500 before taxes 
and uh, that money can be used for future medical expenses. So, and that's good. And that can you can hold that for as long as you want. You can invest it how you want. It'll grow over time, and you can hold that. I mean, you can hold that until you're, I think, uh, 55 or 65 years old. I think it's 65 years old. Uh, if you use it for anything other than medical. I do believe it's tax, but if you use it for medical stuff, that money is tax-free for as long as you want, you hold it. Well, and that's what I like. You can actually take the, if, if you have the receipt, you can wait for, use it forever. I mean, that can be 80, right. 75, 85. So keep receipts. And I think, I think old jambalaya, that's the key to the question is you talk about a home purchase. How soon until you've done that and you can continue putting a lot of money back in the HSA? Because if you can start putting a lot of money back in the HSA again and continue doing that, then I think that uh, sticking with the HSA is a great idea. I do think that based on uh, on your last couple of years expenses, you know, we talked earlier in the show about tracking your expenses. When you look at your health cost and you kind of look ahead next year at your health cost, I think you could do a reasonable projection of which one's going to be the better way to go. Continuing with the HSA and the high deductible plan or whether you should go to a more traditional insurance like our roundtable has here. I'm totally with Belinda. I think after 15000 in cash, getting that money invested, I wouldn't double that. I wouldn't go to two times that money. I'd start investing it. I also wonder if old Jambalaya is able to do, Len, what you said, which is uh, pay as many of those expenses out of pocket and just keep the receipts and let the growth on that money after you've invested it, then pay for it later on, you know, um, right. use it as tax free well, income in the future. Yeah. And part of it may just depend on how organized are you, right? Like it may yes. just be something that you just want to clear out every year so that you don't have this obligation, right. That you're paying out of pocket with current money Yeah, and then having that, that cash up. So maybe every quarter you just make it something that you do. Okay. I'm at the end of the quarter. Great. Let me submit all my receipts and get that done. You know, and I think it depends too, how much extra money do we have to save for the house or do you have an emergency, uh, you know, quote emergency, but like some extra cushion fund that's not tied to this HSA? Because like you said, Len, like there's a penalty for a non-medical withdrawal, right? So if you need it for something that's not medical related, you have a 20% penalty on that money, right? So you get the benefit of the tax impact, right? Like you're getting that pre-tax money basically to be spending on medical bills. But if you need it for other things that aren't medical, you'll take a hit for it. But if you're so holding on to sure that, extra money. but if you're holding on to those receipts though, Belinda, long-term, which I really, really like, because then you can use that power of compounding to work for you. I mean, I would find the back end of your file drawer and stuff that full of these receipts and just hold on to as many eligible receipts as you can possibly find. Because I think that when it comes to, you know, when it comes to retirement, there's two different types of tax treatments. Traditionally, there's pre-tax savings and there's after-tax, but tax-free when you pull it out savings, meaning pre-tax 401k or the Roth, right? But if you hold on to those receipts long-term, You've got double tax treatment. You've got pre-tax money, money that wasn't taxed coming in, and you also have uh, it not being taxed on the way out. So now you you may even have a better tax shelter with an HSA than you have with either the Roth or your regular retirement savings. So part of me even thinks, I'm wondering, and this is more advanced planning, if he changes around how he's saving for retirement so that he 
is able to continue to put more money into the HSA. Maybe he puts less money into the 401k and instead puts it into the HSA. I don't know. All right. Well, I mean, part of it then you get into, is there a match on the 401k, right? Um, like there's other right. things yeah. to be thinking about at that, at that level. And I mean, so a lot of the people that, that end up working with us and making money easier, a lot of our clients are not quite so organized. So it gave me a little heart palpitation when you're like, oh, just put the receipts in, an, in a folder in the back <laughs> of your cabinet. Because I was like, you know, my MO is much more like, while you have the receipt and you know where it is, we should probably send it in and get you reimbursed, right? Or set it up so that there's an automatic deduction. Like if I go to this doctor then it, or go to CVS, it pulls it down, right? So it, it depends on your level of organization. Let's just leave it Belinda's, Belinda's got a great point. Know thyself. Know thyself. <laughs> By the way, I know that uh, we're wrapping things up here, but big thanks, Jambalaya, for the call. If you have a question for us and we can all say, well, we don't have an HSA. We don't know. Head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash voicemail and uh, we'll, we'll help you as well. All right, team, that's going to do it for today. We'll let our guest go uh, last. So Mr. Penzo, that puts you in the driver's seat, my friend. What's happening at lenpenzo.com? I'll tell you what, Joe, I've got this week. I know all of you are just dying to learn some interesting things about Halloween. This is for all of you people out there trick-or-treating, assuming you're not afraid of getting out there for the COVID. I have uh, 18 facts on Halloween and very interesting. Most of these are very interesting facts. You've really got to come to lenpenzo.com or the persistentitch.com, its sister site, and check them out. I'll give you a teaser on just one of the types of facts that's in this list. Do you like Kit Kats, Joe? Uh, it's my favorite, favorite candy bar. Yes. All right. Do you Easily. like, and do you like, do you like uh, Reese's peanut butter cups? I do, but I like uh, okay. three musketeers better. Okay. But Kit Kat's one of your tops. Kit Kat's one of them. I, in, in, in this article, I share with you how you can increase the odds of getting a Kit Kat or getting multiple Kit Kats in your booty bag. There's a way you can do this statistically and same for the Reese's peanut butter cups. So stop on by if you're a Reese's peanut butter cup fan or Kit Kat fan, you can find out how you can increase your catch of those goodies when you go trick or treating this year. <laughs> That's just one of the 18 fantastic facts I share. That's the kind of hard hitting stuff you get at lempenzo.com. <laughs> right, right there. Kevin, thanks for hanging out with us, my friend. It's good. We finally got you here. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to be here, and uh, you know, Halloween at our house is a, a pretty big score with four teenagers. Not not so much anymore, but when they were kids, you know, they come home with this giant pillowcase full of candy, and uh, then we would blow their minds because we would take all of them and dump them in together into one big giant bin, and then when they went to sleep, we would eat tons of it. <laughs> so. And I, I am a big candy. I'm a big candy fiend, so I like it all almost. So, so we're good there. You sent, you sent. Speaking of candy, I think you sent my friend Andy Hill some, uh, my old neighbor, some uh, gummy bears, right? I did gummy bears. Yeah, he had mentioned that on Twitter, and then it turned into this huge like uh, taste <laughs> test on on Instagram. So <laughs> that was that was super funny. But what's coming up at Family Money Adventure? I've been crazy busy with my freelancing schedule, but uh, we do have a couple of posts coming up soon. Uh, one of them is going to be talking about different places online that you can go for uh, vacation rentals. 
uh, you know, a lot of people with what's going on, that's become kind of the way to still travel is to, you know, go rent a cabin or a condo somewhere and, and still socially distance themselves from everyone. So you got a huge list of places you can go for that. That's a big thing. And then I got another one coming up pretty soon that I'm just kind of helping people to get through, you know, if they're having a financial crisis right now because of all that's going on. By the way, for people looking for articles about budgets, you write, you, you take budgets, my friend, and just slice them and dice them. You're talking about budgets from every, we talked about with Paula budgeting, you talked about throwing out the family budget. You've, you've talked about budgeting in a lot of different ways. Yeah, we do. Um, we kind of had our own journey where we we realized that the methods that we were using weren't working that much for us. They they were originally, but like, you know, as, as we kind of grew in our knowledge of money and, and uh, you know, gained all this wisdom that we decided we wanted to change up course. So in the process of doing that, we just basically have been, my wife and I have been researching all the different kinds of budgeting methods. So we're sharing kind of the results of that with everybody. And then we'll kind of figure out what's the best option for us. We'll link to Family Money Adventure on our show notes page at Stacking Benjamins. Belinda, you and I are about to get our hands dirty. I guess you could call that. <laughs> I'm going to carve <laughs> pumpkins this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> no, we got some work coming. We're going to. I know, I know. Yeah, I'm super excited. So we're going to be working on um, teaching people how to head off the holiday hangover. Is that the one, Joe, that, that we're talking about? That might be the one. I can neither confirm nor deny. No, I can confirm. That's the one. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. <laughs> After we make it past Thanksgiving, right? right? After we make it past Halloween, then we head into Thanksgiving and Christmas. And, you know, there's really just this... Um, or the holidays, we'll call them. There's so much pressure, I think, you know, to the point we we're making earlier on, you know, emotional spending, and we end up feeling all of this pressure on ourselves and this need, even when times can feel tight right now with what could be going on in your family in this, you know, virus world kind of thing. So we just really want to equip you to have some real solid tips to be able to to do things differently, do things better without feeling guilt or shame or any of the stuff that comes up. We want you to have a joyful holiday. You can get a preview, by the way, at stackybedjamins.com. Just go down to our Making Money Easy course. You'll see a box on, on the course. You can click there. Next Friday, by the way, Belinda and I are going to dive into that more. So uh, hang oh. out with us on next Friday's show. Oh, and I'm going to work on my biceps because I got to <laughs> catch up. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, you can roll your t-shirt up, right? All right, that's going to do it for today. Uh, Doug, you got it from here, man. What should we have learned today? So what should we have learned today? First, take a lesson from today's roundtable. While there are cons, some of the main pros that come along with self-employment deal with flexibility, but make sure you're the type of person who works well with that type of freedom. Second, take a lesson from Cabbage. Now that the payroll protection program has expired, what is next to save Main Street? But the big takeaway? It turns out my monster 500 plus credit score isn't enough to lock down the new iPhone payment plan. If this gold standard for credit worthiness can't qualify for iPhone payments, good luck to all of you. Special. 
special thanks to Belinda for joining us at the roundtable today. You'll find more about our Making Money Easy course featuring Belinda's expertise by heading to our website, stackingbenjamins.com, and clicking on the Making Money Easy button. Also, a special thanks to Kevin Payne for joining us at the roundtable today. You can find more about Kevin at familymoneyadventure.com. And, of course, we'll have a link in our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. Also, a special thanks to Catherine from Cabbage for joining Joe today. You can find out more about Cabbage at Cabbage, that's Cabbage with a K, dot com. We'll also have a link to Cabbage with a K on our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. That's stacking with an S. Len Penzo was gold on today's show, wasn't he? Well, at least he's hoarding it all under his bed. This show is created by Joe Saul Seahive, produced by Karen Rapine, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I swear the worst part about coming over to Joe's mom's house is having to put on pants. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remunerations. That's a big word. There's no way you take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. And before making any financial decisions, consult with a real financial advisor. Remember, kids, sun's out, gun's out. Welcome to the after show. This is the part of the show that doesn't exist. What happens in the after show stays in the after show. We are talking about budgeting and you guys are budget coaches and uh, Len, we'll call you the budget overseer, making sure, you know, that the honeybee gets the budget correct. I'm sure she, she, she needs a lot of help with that. I'm sure. And I'm sure she also appreciates it when, when you like look over her shoulder. You want me to share a story about her? Oh boy. She's why, why is she the CFO uh, at my house because she's so good at it. She's actually anal at the whole thing. I mean, if she's a penny off, she's gonna she's gonna hunt that down. She's gonna make sure everything's. She, where did that last penny go? There was one day she was at the kitchen table and I was getting ready to go out and run some errands and I go said, spend hey, some money doing and you go spend go spend some money. <laughs> hey, what are you doing? And she's like, oh yeah, I'm just working on you know trying to get the budget and I and she goes, I'm like. I don't know what it was, 10 cents off or whatever. I'm 12 cents off. I can't figure, you know, I'm, I'm going to figure out where that 10 cents. I'm like, okay, oh, well, that's fine. You know, have a good time. So I went off, did my errands 
And about three hours later, I come back and she's still at the table. And, you know, I'm figuring, you know, hey, how's it going? And I come in the door and she's like, I can't find that 10 cents. And she's she was still looking for it three hours later. It's killing her now. Can you believe it? Finally, she found it, but it, it took like half the day. But she was determined and she always is determined to get things to the to the nearest penny. Whereas before I met her and I was doing my own balancing the budget, I rounded things to the nearest buck, basically. You know, if, if something was off 50 cents, or so, it's like even my checkbook, I didn't round to the nearest penny. I rounded to like the nearest dollar. And she's just the total opposite. It really drives me insane. I, I can't believe, you know, somebody gets that hung up on that. But some people do. I'm thinking about Paula's time versus 13 cents, like the amount of time that finding that 13 cents costs. Exactly. Yeah, yes. but I still know when it drives you crazy. Now it's not about the money anymore. You know what I mean? It's about that just <laughs> drives you crazy. I honestly thought that the end of that story was going to be Len walking over and handing her a dime. <laughs> 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 and you're like a dime. And if you, whatever she was off by and be like, here you go, honey, can we go out to dinner now? Yeah. Forget about <laughs> it. What, you know what I could have done is I could have gave her the receipt for what I bought that day and just been, or, or not give her the receipt and told her it was 10 cents uh, more than it was. Yes. So that was just balanced out. <laughs> We'd always go through people's budget when we start working with them. Well, most of the time. There was a couple that I was working with and under entertainment, they had this line item and we would just go every line item and I would help them find ways to cut that line item. Right. And it did usually take us 30, 45 minutes and it was fun. You know, we'd usually find money in different spots and uh, we get to entertainment and entertainment was $1,200 a month. And I'm like, okay, $1,200 a month, that's a that's a pretty healthy number for entertainment. We, we could probably cut that. And uh, Teresa turns to Wade and goes, I told you we shouldn't have written that down. <laughs> <laughs> and at first, I, you know, at first I really didn't care what it was. And now I intensely care what the 1200 bucks is. I'm like, I'm like, well, okay, well, well, what is it? And Wade goes... Yeah, we could probably just cut that. Yeah, that's fine. And Teresa goes, we shouldn't have written it down in the first place. And I'm like, well, do you spend that money? And she's like, well, yeah, a lot of months we do spend that money. Well, well, what is it? Let's see if we can eliminate it. And they both look at the ground like it's a confession or something. And then Teresa slowly raises her eyes to me and goes, it's pot. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. <laughs> oh, man, that's funny. Okay, wait, can I follow that up really quick, Joe? So <laughs> I, I reviewed some. So that's, that was the other category that there's a lot of discretionary in. We didn't end up coming back to the rest of that question, but entertainment's a big one. So I was reviewing someone's budget and their entertainment was pretty similar. It was like 1100. I'm like, and, and she's like a single mom and, and widowed and kids are basically out of the house. And I was like, so what are you doing? <laughs> if I may ask, she was like, well, I like um, games on my phone. And I was like, what are you playing? She's like, I think it was Candy Crush or one of those kind of games where you have to pay to play and like pay to learn and pay to advance to different levels. And I was like, holy cow. And she has credit card debt. I'm like, what are you doing? And she was like, yeah, I probably need to get off of that. But the people are so nice. <laughs> and I was like, oh, oh my Lord. Yeah. Oh, man, is right. And so. I am proud to say that Imagine we, Candy Crush and pot. 
Well, then we would have been a twenty-four hundred. <laughs> oh man, they should have they should have put the pot under uh, medical expenses. That's maybe. right. It, it would have made oh, more I sense. And then they could have kept on a budget as well. Tax deductible. That's what I was going to yeah. say. Ask the dude for the receipt. Yeah. Yeah, you, I don't know. You, you wouldn't have thought anything of it. <laughs> this is back before you got receipts for the pot. Could you imagine asking your dealer for the receipt? <laughs> hey, man, uh, what, what the hell are you talking about a receipt? Yeah. Uh, uh, Kevin, you got to have a bunch of uh, budgeting craziness in a family that has four teenagers. So I don't have any huge like budgeting fail stories or anything like that, but I am kind of like a mix of like, like lens honeybee there. Like I am pretty on top of every number, but I'm also super ADD. And so they just collide against each other. So I'll do so good and and think of every single line item and, and get this thing. And I'll totally forget like something huge uh, come the end of the month. We use a lot of credit card rewards. And with those, you know, people who are reading the site, like I really try to get them to understand, like if you're going to do that, you have to be really good with money and sure, you have to yeah. be really good at paying attention because what's one of the last things you want to do if you're doing that is to pay interest charges or extra fees and things like that to totally negate your the rewards that you're getting, you know, and that's what the credit card companies are hoping that you do, you know, and that's what a large percentage of people do. Never really had that problem, but I have had it to where, you know, we'll use a credit card to pay like our, you know, monthly bills, you know, the ones that we can use them for, and then I'll immediately pay it you know, pay the credit card, but I, occasionally I will forget that. And, uh, I've never run into the, to having to pay the fee, like a late fee or anything like that, but I'll, you know, it'll be come real close and, and I've forgotten about like a $400 charge on there. And, uh, you just got to move some money around real quick. To take you got to automate that. That's what you got to do, Kevin. Yeah. <laughs> I was just thinking Saturday nights at Kevin's house are a hell of a lot of fun. <laughs> you know, I have, I have thought about automating, but like, if I'm not like on top of it myself, like if I I will totally forget about it all. That's just how I am, you know. Well, we automate the minimum so that we just never yeah. have a late fee of any sort. And then okay. we'll consciously go in and then pay off the full balance and that kind of a thing. It that just totally depends on the card sense. and how much we use it. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. Although to your Saturday night point that you were just making, we have been known to have a money date on a Saturday night because that's like when we can get some time. It's nice and yep. quiet. And, you know, I think one of the biggest mistakes people make is that they don't involve their partner, right? Like that they're not together, whether one's doing it, but both need to at least have a clue. Right, Lennon, and I think you still look at things, right? Honeybee is doing it to the penny, but are you taking on a, a keeping an eye on it to let's, some extent? Right? Let's got this guilty look in his face. Yeah, he rolled his eye like, well. <laughs> She's well, I, you were just talking it. about you're just you're you just talking about your your Saturdays alone, and I was just thinking, you know, yeah, I was nodding my head. <laughs> <laughs> there was a time, so so we, we we joked that we have everything in QuickBooks. So we have a QuickBooks personal, and we have a QuickBooks for our business. And um, my husband was joking that you know there was a time when we couldn't even like look at it, and we literally like did a Facebook live from a money date on a Saturday night once because we're like, look, guys, we're talking about this, like we really have to do this too. And it's really kind of painful for us some nights too, but we're doing it anyway. And so we swear to God, we did that. That You have to go back a few years to find it. But now it's so funny. We we're just joking the other day. He's like, you know, I actually put in the calendar review QuickBooks because I know that that like gets you excited. And I was like, oh my God, more plays. 
laughing so hard. But it was like, I know that that makes you really happy to see that we're going in and categorizing the items. So romance, romance is alive and well at the Rose and Bloom house. We know who that. Knew? Who knew that categorizing could be so sexy? Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.